Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning, and it's always good to gather with the people of the Lord as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, open it to Galatians chapter 6. <laughs> it ties back to verse 26 of chapter 5. <laughs> but we're starting in 6 this morning, I promised. Galatians 6. I want to read the first five verses this morning. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, brothers, which is a very endearing term from the Apostle Paul to them, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with, I pray, Lord, that we would help, help us, Lord, to have grateful, thankful hearts for all that we have in Jesus. Lord, for, for the ability to be part of a community of Christ, a local expression of the body of Christ, it is a precious, precious gift. And you have gifted each one of us so that we can live in unity and in the bonds of Christ and so that we can help one another um, where we may be blinded to things in our life. You have, you have ordained the community of Christ to help each other in that. Help us to have humble hearts if we have to approach and help us to have humble hearts if we're approached. And may Christ be honored in all that we say and do. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time now in your word and that you would teach us clearly what your word is saying and also give us wisdom in the application of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last few weeks we've been looking at the foundation of sanctification. Um, the Apostle Paul has taught us a lot and is, says a lot, but also not only the foundation of sanctification, but the power behind sanctification, which is quite, I think, the misunderstood element of sanctification is both of those things. Um, I've said this before, this, I think it's very prevalent to have this Thomas the Train theology um, this sola bootstrapsa, as I've said before, that it's, you know, wake up in the morning and pull up your bootstraps and it's up to you. But it's really us resting in Christ um, and the work that he's done. So the foundation, as we've been looking at, the foundation of sanctification is our justification. There is no sanctification if there is no justification. And we 
rest in our justification for our motive to be sanctified. So the foundation of our sanctification is our justification, and the power behind our sanctification is the Spirit of God. Um, the Holy Spirit works in us both to will and to do according to God's good pleasure. And so we are instruments that respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in us um, as an assurance of our justification. The process of sanctification, if I could just summarize it, um, is learning anew how to relate to three things, I think. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but the process of sanctification is learning anew as the image of God is being restored in us, okay? We're learning how to relate to God differently. We're no longer relating to God like the Israelites on Mount, at Mount Sinai. We're relating to God now as Adam and Eve, Eve did before the fall um, and as Christ our Savior related to, to him and relates to him. So we are, relating, we are learning how to relate to God differently. He is our Father. Positionally, and hear me on this, positionally, he has already judged us, and we have been declared blameless in his sight. We will experience this with the same results at a future time when Christ comes again and, and we have the judgment, the, the consummation and the judgment. But it will be the same results. We will just experience what we already have positionally. We're also learning how to relate to God's law differently. This is big. And this is what I've kind of been pounding on in the process of sanctification. We are learning how to relate to God's law differently. It used to thunder, and we'd want to run. We, we lived our life in Romans 1 where we sought to suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness and skew his law, weaken his law by telling ourselves that we are keeping it somehow, or at least keeping it better than him or her, and so God, I'll tip the scales in my favor. And that's not how God's law works. But it no longer demands of us, and hear me on that, the law of God no longer demands of us, it woos us. It no longer demands of us, it woos us. Because the demands of the law of God have been eternally satisfied for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so through our, our new spiritual birth, we find satisfaction. The law woos us because it's what God delights in, and we, we delight in Him. And, and we know that His law is not a killjoy. It's actually for our greatest joy. And so we pursue it because we love Him. We love the lawgiver, and we know that the law is holy and good. And we also are learning how to relate to others differently. We're learning how to relate to God differently. We're learning how to relate to God's law differently. And we're learning how to relate to others differently. And that's kind of where we're um, beginning this, these last couple of weeks and especially now this morning. We should no longer consume relationships for the sole benefit of self. I've alluded to that or spoke to that in previous sermons. We should no longer consume relationships for the sole benefit of self, which is what we did when we were lost. It's all we could do is use relationships for what we, what we desired to be reciprocated back to us. We can now pursue relationships 
by the power of the Holy Spirit and the regenerating work of God in us, we can now pursue relationships for the benefit of both parties. We can, we can love our neighbor as ourselves, And we can, <clears throat> we can rest in God's opinion of us and no one else's. Because our identity is in Jesus Christ, and our value is in Jesus Christ. And guess what that value is? You are righteous. There's no greater value than that. You are righteous in Christ. Our value is in Christ, and it is immutable. And so by the Spirit, we care for one another the way God intended Remember that the image of God is being restored in us as Christians. And so in this process of sanctification where the image of God is being renewed, we are, we are learning how to relate to God differently and God's law differently and others differently. And sanctification, as you read in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the epistles, in the Gospels, Sanctification is meant to be fleshed out in community. Sanctification is meant to be fleshed out in community. You, you cannot live the Christian life that God wants you to live outside of community. And I mean Christian community. We are being sanctified by the moment-by-moment by, by revealing of God's promise or providence. We need to understand that, right? Right? Every moment-by-moment moment revealing of God's providence in your life is an opportunity to either worship Him or worship self. And so God is revealing His will for you. I know that there are things that are not secret, but we don't know what's going to happen to us when we get out of church today. But God does, and He'll reveal it to us. And in the moment that it's revealed, we have a choice, right? Obey Him or obey self. Glorify him or seek to glorify self. And community is important to God, which is why God has ordained the church and why God has ordained us to be the body and gifted us individually so that we can use those gifts corporately to glorify him, so that we can help one another. And as Paul says here in chapter 6, Bear one another's burdens. Those burdens will be different. They'll look different according to who's in the burden and who helps carry it. <clears throat> Community is important to God. God has ordained the church. The church is not an option for the Christian. It has been ordained by God. And so Paul now takes us from the security and power of sanctification to specific expressions of it within community. And he also gives us cautions to be taken while pursuing sanctification in community. And so I'm, I'm going to deal with, with more specific things in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 next week, but I want to lay some groundwork for what Paul is saying here and how we can flesh this out. I think this groundwork is important. Um, and and uh, you'll see. <clears throat> I want us to notice a very important truth for living in community in the bonds of Christ. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught, and let me just stop right there and, and just say what this means. I, I'll probably have it in my notes, 
but I don't want to forget this. What, what, this, what this verb is carrying with it is, is more that someone's caught up in a transgression. It's not like you open the door and said, <gasps> right? It's someone is caught up in habitual sin. That's what Paul's talking about here. <clears throat> and so he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So our love for others, this is some groundwork here, our love for others involves a willingness to suffer with them or from them. Our, will, our love for others <clears throat> involves a willingness to suffer with them or from them. And we have a great example of suffering for the benefit of the body, do we not? In Jesus Christ. What do I mean exactly by that statement? Well, verse 1 <clears throat> most likely or could involve confrontation. And I, and I say confrontation in a positive way. I know that word can be looked at negatively. <clears throat> but so is the word argument. The, ar the word argument is looked at negatively, and it ha actually has a positive tone to it. Verse 1 involves or potentially could involve confrontation. And confrontation, as you know, carries with it a potential of many different responses or reactions. But I think we could categorize them into two, a positive reaction or a negative reaction, right? They're, they're either going to have a positive reaction or a negative reaction. Someone could be, let's say you, you're, you, you observe this habitual behavior, <clears throat> And so now you're going to speak to this person, and I'll talk more about how we do that in a minute. This person is either going to receive this conversation or they're going to get quite upset at the conversation. And so the, your willingness to go and have a conversation with this person, is your, it demonstrates your willingness to suffer like Christ suffered for us. Our motive in this is they're good, right? Because we're loving our neighbor as ourself. And so we care about their good. And we're going to them for their good. But it doesn't mean they're going to see it that way. Someone could be open to your help and invite you into their pain and invite you into their weaknesses. And now you're going through it with them in a way that you would not have if you weren't involved. And when you're helping someone who's suffering, you're going to suffer because it's, it burdens our heart. I don't know how it can't burden our heart when we're helping others through their burdens. But our love for others compels us to help them. And so you feel with them and hurt with them and you celebrate with them and you cry with them as you walk through this with them. Or they could not or they could possibly not receive your help, turn you away and avoid you at all costs. And now you're suffering. Why? Because now the relationship is not what it should be. And we're called to a ministry of reconciliation. It grieves us if a relationship is not reconciled. 
It grieves. It should grieve us. It should grieve us deeply. And we should, we should go after that reconciliation. But if they, if they reject our conversation, our willingness to help, now that re- relationship is not what it was, and now we're grieved by that, and now we're suffering because of it. Now, instead of suffering with them in a certain way, your suffering is coming from them. But we are to be imitators of Christ in this ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. In this ministry of being the body of Christ and being a community of Christ and living within community and bearing one another's burdens and caring not just for my comfort, but also caring for yours. And I mean biblical comfort. So anytime we love others enough to get involved, there's a, there must be a willingness to suffer. And when we are willing to suffer, either with someone or from someone, we have to do so resting in God. Trusting God and His providence. If we're doing the right thing, if we're doing what God has called us to do, we have to trust God for the circumstances and how it will turn out. Because God is in control. Trusting God that whatever happens, God, listen, God will use it for your sanctification. God will use it to transform you from one degree of glory to the next in our sanctification of becoming more like Jesus Christ. We have to trust that. That has to be our goal, right? Lord, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what the response is going to be, but I've prayed up. And I've sought counsel, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I've, I'm going to go to this person, Lord, because I love them, and I love you, and I want to do my part as the body of Christ. And so I'm going to leave this in your hands, and I'm going to leave the result in your hands, and I'm going to trust that whatever happens, it turns out for your glory and my good. Right? Amen. Now the next and very important component for a community in Christ is our love for others involves gentleness. This is critical. Critical. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is caring. Caring for how our brother or sister may be perceived caring for how they are treated, caring, for, caring that they know they are genuinely loved and that they're genuinely loved by you. There is a gentleness in this that Christ compels us and calls us and commands us to. And so we have to take those things into consideration. I need to, I need to do this. I'm compelled to do this. God has called me to do this, to have this conversation with this dear brother or this dear sister, but at the same time, I need to make sure that my heart's in the right place and that what I say is going to be perceived, that it's just oozing with love for this person. And that I'm not going to this conversation thinking that, that it, it's just going to take some cliche for me to say, and all's well. 
but that I might literally be, be walking through this with this brother or sister for a long time because that's what it takes sometimes. So I want to do this with gentleness. And so you, one of the questions that you can ask and I think is important to ask is, how would I want to be treated, right? If, if I were the one caught in the sin, if I was the one caught up in this transgression, how would I want to be treated by a brother or sister in Christ that's coming to me? What would I want this person to think about me? How would I want this person praying for me? How would I want this person to carry out this, this conversation and, and we need to, when we're thinking that way, on it, we need to think honest and humble, not prideful, heroic. Think of times when, when you've been ensnared into sin and you needed help by an observing brother or sister. Weakened by sin, weakened by the flesh. We are capable of committing any sin that anybody else can commit. No, and if you don't think that, then you need to pray. You need to pray and ask God to search your heart. We are capable of committing any sin that anybody else can commit. And we could go down the list of the saints through the ages and see what we're capable of committing. How would you want someone to approach you Proverbs 15.1 gives us great insight. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, Paul, when he speaks of caught in any transgression, it, I've said this before, it, he means sin to be dealt with is sin that seems to be habitual. They're caught up in the sin. You, you, have, you have either observed a, a pattern of habit in this person or maybe this person is, has observed it in, in themselves and they're coming to you. It, it's, it's either way here in the context. They're caught up in the sin. Its power over them has caught them unaware. Maybe they thought they could dabble in it and it's consuming them. But the sin, nonetheless, has entangled them. And I want us to hear, I want, I want you to hear me on this. Paul's not talking here about some momentary lapse of judgment where something slips. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about being caught up habitual sin. I personally, and, and this is me, I personally don't, prefer to seeing something that's uncharacteristic in someone, like, I'm not the person that's going to jump on them for saying that. And I'll, be, and I'll tell you why, because I think sometimes, number one, if, if that's out of character for that brother, it probably won't happen again, because that brother or sister has the Holy Spirit living within them. This is me. And I think sometimes going to someone and confronting them with an with a uncharacteristic moment, uh, lapse of of judgment can sometimes cause the defense attorney in that person to jump up 
because it does in all of us, right? And now they're maybe more resistant to, to hear someone. So I'm not talking about a momentary lapse of judgment. I'm talking about habitual sin. That's what Paul's talking about here. And if you disagree with me on that, that's fine. That's fine. But I'll tell you this. I think that it's harmful for the church. And if you've been a Christian very long, you've been in a church that has these types of people. There are, there are people in churches that are walking around with their ears open, hoping to find someone that steps out of line for some second so that they can pounce on them and be perceived as spiritual. And I think that's absolutely the opposite of spiritual. It's, it's the opposite of spiritual. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, there, it's so, I think it's such a black eye to the church when, when people do that kind of thing. They're, they're, the, they're the stumble police, if you will. And they're, they're just listening for something to, somebody to say something or do something that they don't agree with. And it, they feel like they're, they're self-elected committee to go confront everybody in the church when they see any iota wrong with the way they're living or what they're doing. And when this happens, it is most often that the person doing the correcting is only mindful of what they want the circumstances to be personally. Their needs, their wants, their ceremonies kept. And that's wrong. It's a wrong motive. It's a wrong behavior. These people are living in Galatians 5.26 where Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And we need to remember that we are not the Holy Spirit. We are instruments in His hands, but we are not the Holy Spirit. And we have to be, and, and I, hear me on this, this is so important. We, we have to be extremely careful that we are not a, imposing opinions and preferences, nor our individual ceremonial laws on other people. And you can go back in Galatians at the beginning where I was preaching on how we bring ceremonial law into our own life, and, and then it becomes legalism in our life because we lay those things that we like that aren't commanded on other people. So we have to be incredibly careful and, and prayerful that we're not bringing opinions and preferences or individual ceremonial laws on people, those ceremonial laws that we've created for our own life. And we have to have Scripture that specifically deals with the specific sin that you're observing that seems to be habitual? Do you have Scripture that you can go to that specifically either prohibits or commands such behavior? It says that you should not or you're not, and it says you should. Have Scripture that specifically deals with the specific sin observed. This is commanded in Scripture. If it's, if it's your application of the Scripture, and this is important too, if it's your application of the Scripture that is not specifically commanded or prohibited by Scripture, then you may want to get other thoughts from people that you trust have biblical wisdom. Because what you may be doing is you may be walking into something that you're going to cause more harm than good. Because you're bringing into that conversation 
They're not actually sinning. You're bringing in the ceremonial laws that you've imposed on your family on them, and it's not actually Scripture at all. And so something that you should have let go and let that person alone, now you, you've gone, and now there may be a rift in the body of Christ because of your ceremonial laws. So if, if you don't have a, a specific Scripture to go to, it may be good to get biblical wisdom on what you think is sin. And you can do so without naming anyone, by the way. Remember, we should always try to help one another with love and gentleness, or it is not biblical Christ-honoring help. <clears throat> Pouncing on someone is not gentleness. Now, I want to give some criteria before you make the decision to help, uh, some more criteria, and I've put these down as criteria to help before you make the decision to help. So let me, let me start with this, and this is just a cautionary preface. It's, it's outside of the passage here in Galatians 6, but, but I think it's needed for clarity's sake. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Let God judge those outside the church. So I just want to state this because I think it's important. I don't want you to apply Galatians 6, 1 to the world. Because our calling is not to, to spend our time walking up to unbelievers telling them things like, Don't get drunk. Don't cuss. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't live this way. Don't live that way. That is not our Christian calling. And somehow, it's, it's, it seems like the church over the last hundred years has transitioned to where there's no judgment inside the house of the Lord. It's all outside. We don't care what's going on inside the body. We only care what's going on. And you know why? Because that's easy. Of course they're sinning. That's all they can do. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. They've not been made anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to point fingers to the world. But it's not our Christian calling. We are called to speak the gospel into their life and when allowed by their conversation we can link the gospel as an escape from a specific bondage to sin that maybe that person is bringing up. But we are not, and hear me on this, I, we are not called to spend our time telling lost people how to up their moral game. We're called to, to speak the gospel into their life. And if they give you an opportunity to link a specific sin that they're struggling with, and you link the gospel as, as an escape of not only that bondage, but all bondage, then praise God for that opportunity. But upping their moral game is not going to do anything but create them to be a Pharisee. And I think that the church transitioning this way over the last hundred years has given the church a huge black eye. 
Now, that's, that's just a preface. I've got like seven minutes to get these four points. They're short, I promise. So, our, our judgment, Paul says, I'm not telling, you don't, you don't need to judge those outside the church. Evangelize them. Waiting outside a bar, telling people that drunkenness is a sin, what's that doing? They're not even in a frame of mind to understand the gospel when you do that. Stop telling people how to up their moral game and preach the gospel to them and show them that you'll suffer with them and that you love them. So first thing, now to the passage at hand, how can we be spiritual in our helping each other within the body be restored if someone's caught up in a transgression? Number one, and Jesus teaches us this, get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Because you notice that Paul says those who are spiritual. Okay? So, We need to be in a spiritual mindset. We need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to have a spirit of gentleness when we do this. And we need to make sure that my... And and hear me on this. It's it's not... You know, Jesus isn't saying, hey, your sin is more dangerous than theirs. But here's what it is. You have... I just pointed at Jeff. Jeff, sorry about that. (laughs) You, you have, I have, we have a better perspective on our own sin than anyone else. We have a greater perspective of what's going on in our life behind the doors that people can peek into, right? I mean, all, all of us, we, we could all come here every Sunday and it's a masquerade party. I've got it all together, brother. There's no struggling in my life. Not but that's what church is a lot of the times. It's not supposed to be. We have a better perspective on our own sin, and we need to make sure that we're walking in the Spirit before we go do such a thing. A log, if you've ever handled wood, grabbing a log is much easier than pulling out a splinter, is it not? I can't even see the splinters anymore. Right? Right? Got to put the glasses on now to see the splinter. A log would be easier to grab and pull out. A speck takes precision, skill, tweezers. It would take gentleness and care to remove the splinter, would it not? When you can just grab that log and manhandle it. Me dealing with my own sin, the log, I can grab it, I can manhandle it, I can root it out. There's less caution, less gentleness. I can do it more aggressively. Why? Because it's me dealing with me. And I'm infinitely forgiving to myself. My forgiveness never stops towards myself. You notice that? And we're infinitely patient with ourselves. And we should be the same to others. And if you're not dealing with the log, you're not prepared to handle the splinter. 
Because the law gets us in a spiritual mindset. Dealing with the logs in our life gets us in a mindset that we understand that we can and do commit sin all the time, and we need God's grace and forgiveness, and we need the gentleness of the body of Christ to take care of us. Number two, not, number one, get the, spe- the log out so that you can handle the speck or splinter. Number two, am I spiritually equipped to help? And this goes hand in hand with number one. What is my walk with the Lord looking like at the moment? Is there repentance needed in my life? Am I aware of sin? If, if, if there's no sin that you're aware of in your life, then we really need to get alone with ourselves, right? Am I resting in God? Have I been true in my confession and repentance? Have I been humble in my opinion of self? Am I aware of my dependence on the Spirit for, for my obedience? Or am I boasting in self? Am I relying on self? Am I applauding self for the work of God in my life? And this makes, all, number one, all the more important. Number one is supposed to help you gain a proper perspective on yourself so that you can go in with love and gentleness and humility. So that you can make sure you're properly resting in Christ, aware of your need for forgiveness of sins, aware of your daily need of the Spirit, then you can go in humble gentleness. Number three, how serious is the sin? And this takes wisdom. Wisdom and security is found in a multitude of counsel. It's it's something we're called to do, brothers and sisters, but it's also something that we should take great care in doing and seek to do the right way. If we're really really walking in the Spirit, what what we're attempting to do is we're attempting to walk into this person's life and lay gospel balm, gospel ointment on this person in gentleness and care. And so wisdom is always, there. the Bible says that there is security found in a multitude of counsel. And so maybe before you confront, if there's any uncertainty whether what you're witnessing it, what you're witnessing is sin, then you can ask your elders or a group leader or someone you see spiritual and you can ask them without naming the person. And if someone comes and asks you without naming someone, please do not ask them who they're talking about. But ask someone that you've seen exhibit biblical wisdom in their life and how they've handled things. Someone um, that, that has displayed that before your eyes. Is it sin that needs confronting Two things, are are relationships being and about to be ruptured? Is this a pattern of sinful behavior? Is this what you see in someone, or are you being the stumble police? Don't be the stumble police. Because the stumble police are just looking for ways to make themselves look spiritual by enforcing their ceremonial laws on everybody else. And they never 
or rarely take into consideration that the manner and timing of their confrontation may, may cause the person they're confronting to stumble. Is what you're observing in need of confrontation? In confronta if confrontation is needed, we need wisdom on the best way to handle it. Ask lots of questions to find out context, motives, what's going on. Like, if you're making the conversation happen, you want to find out what's going on in this person's life, ask questions, ask how they're doing. You know, we're not walking in there with the, with the old six-foot, six-inch thick Bible and whopping people over the head. That's the stumble police. And God's not called us to that. What's the best location to have this conversation? Matthew 18 gives advice on personal offenses that, that, that privacy is where we should do this. Not in the small group discussion circle. Not in the prayer chain request list. In private, so no one else knows it's going on. Because you may, in one conversation, gain back your brother or sister, and no one else has to know that it happened. Because why? Because we care about what others think about each other, do we not? Number four, are you the best person to help restore the person caught up in sin? And so if this, sin, if this sinful behavior, and, and let me qualify this, let me qualify this number four. Are you the best person to help restore the person caught up in sin? If this is a personal offense, like Matthew 18 brings up, then I would not include this point. Because if you've been personally offended by someone, you're supposed to go to them in private first. That's the first step, is to go, go to them in private, even if it's public. Because if you go to that person in private, then they can go public with repentance. Or at least go to the people that were observing the sin that was done in front of other people. And how much better would it be that they actually go to those people and say, you know what, I, I did this. And, but, I, but anyway, are you the best person to help restore the person caught up in sin? This is not a personal offense matter with this point. This is an observed or confessed pattern of sinful behavior in someone's life. Harmful sin that you have personally observed, or it, this could be someone who has come to you and they're aware of their sin and they're requesting help. And at times, and with certain sins, there may be someone else in a better role to talk with them. Maybe someone has just come to you and they're asking you to walk or to help them with a sin that is also a besetting sin to you. And so you may not, Paul talks about it, right? Beware of yourself, lest you too be tempted. There may be, there may be a hundred other categories that you could walk through with someone, but maybe this category is not the one. Maybe there's someone better. Or maybe someone comes to you and you're just like, well, I just don't know how to do this. And so you can come to someone that, that may be more spiritual or maybe able to give more counsel. And you can say this. And listen, this is not a cop-out. This is not supposed to be a cop-out. You can say, listen, there's the, 
let's go to so-and-so. Let, let's go speak to so-and-so. I think they can, they can help us, but I'm going to walk through this with you, with them. It's not a cop-out. It's not passing the, the person on so that you don't have to be involved and burdened. It's, listen, I think this person may be able to help me help you. They may be able to, to teach me how to help you, so let's go to them together. Because this is serious, and I want to help you. I love you. You're my brother. Or you're my sister in Christ, and I think that I can maybe help you to hear, but this person may be able to help you to hear, and I want to be with you through it all. So you're not walking away from it. You're walking through it with them, but you're doing it with someone that may be able to help in greater ways. Does that make sense? It's not a cop-out. We're called to bear one another's burdens. That's the church's job, not a select few. And sometimes you may actually begin to help someone and may need advice as you work with the person. There's nothing wrong with that. And so you're getting counsel in order to better counsel your friend. And you can, you can do that. You can ask someone for counsel on how to handle this situation without ever bringing a name up. Because we should avoid gossip and legalism, and we want the best for the person caught up in sin, and we want the path of restoration to be a good situation for them. Sometimes it may be best for you to ask the person to get counsel from someone better equipped, but that you will be there through the counseling if they so desire. And this takes humility, which is, by the way, a fruit of the Spirit. This scenario is not about us looking spiritual. The scenario is about being spiritual. There's a difference. This scenario is not about us looking spiritual. It's about us being spiritual. And spi being spiritual has a spirit of humbleness. And true biblical spirituality is humble, gentle, and caring of and towards others. Just some groundwork there as we think about this passage over at least next week, too. Amen? Let's pray. And as I, as I pray, pray, too, that God will help us. This is, this is not an easy task, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation that the devil would use to cause division in the body of Christ. But, dear friends, we should love the Lord enough to care about our testimony and when we need to be approached, we should be approachable. And when we need to approach, we should care for that person and the body of Christ enough to do so. And we should care enough about them to do so with gentleness and with love and with compassion and with wisdom. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for the the word that is driven into our hearts and into our minds um, by the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, we, we need to be aware of our sinfulness and our need 
of the forgiveness of Christ, and we need to be aware of how easily we can be trapped in sin. And that we need others, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to love us and to walk through this process of sanctification together. We are designed and created for community, and that community is communing with you and with your people so that we can glorify you through the process of our sanctification as we learn anew how to relate to you differently, how to relate to your law differently, and how to relate to others differently. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless us and help this, Lord, to just sink deeply in and help us to be a loving, compassionate, gentle people to one another. Help us to pray for one another. Help us to pray for those who are lost and you've placed in our life and help us to be gentle with them and speak the gospel into their life. Help us to not be the stumble police, Lord, I pray. I pray all this in Christ's wonderful name. He is our Lord and he is our Savior and he is the King of Kings and we adore him. And I pray all this in his name, amen.